Hey gang, welcome to Dateline Louisiana, a provocative look at the deepest of the deep southern states. Thoughts that are informative, candid, humorous, and sometimes controversial about life in one of the most interesting and rabble-rousing states in the nation. Here are your hosts, Anna Gray and Jim Brown. Hi there, folks. Glad you're listening to our podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Ronna Gray. Ronna, we've got a lively show today, don't we? Every week, Jim, every week <laughs> it's right. a lively show. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking about the current season we're in. You know, we have Mardi Gras season and crawfish season and football season. We're very much in election season now in well, Louisiana and around the country. There's only a couple of states that actually have statewide elections now. Kentucky, I've got some friends up Kentucky. They're watching that race. They've got a, re- a Democratic governor in a big Republican state, and they're watching how that affects national trends uh, there in Kentucky. Louisiana is one of the just a very few states that have elections in the off-numbered year, the uneven year. And as you pointed out, we just had a gubernatorial election. If you've uh, uh, not been paying any attention, then we have a new Republican governor. Every statewide official is going to end up governor. We'll talk about that. And, Rana, it sure is a change. And a lot of the older listeners know that I was an elected official back in the 1990s when virtually everybody was a Democrat. All the statewide officials, I ran as a Democrat on a number of occasions. Even though a lot of us had more conservative slant, the Democratic Party was the sole party with all, with just a few uh, exceptions. And so now we've the pendulum has swung from that direction all the way over to where there were 44 legislative seats in this last election where there was no Democrat even running. They were so solid Republican. And so, and, and what strikes me, I'd be interested in your thoughts on Rana. We've got the biggest cities in Louisiana, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Shreveport, Monroe, uh, all heavily Democratic, but the rural dominance is so big that uh, that's who ends up carrying the election from the governor right on down. Well, I'm not of the same party as our governor-elect, but I do think he ran a brilliant campaign, and I have a hard time finding anything he did that didn't work or anything that he did that was wrong uh, strategy-wise. And it amazed me how he went into urban areas and locked up a significant African-American support early on. And those African-American leaders are really the ones that it trickles down and they really push voter turnout and have the canvassing efforts and the the local uh, meetings and all those that ballots and all that. And uh, he just, you know, went in and took that away from the Democrats. Well, and it's all the more surprising because the head of the Democratic Party that was running for governor was an African-American. So we had an African-American who looked pretty legitimate, had fairly decent funding, and yet he was not able to garner much at all in terms of the African-American vote. They left him. And uh, there must be some reasons behind that. You got any theories? I think it really has to do with uh, Jeff Landry getting out ahead of him. I mean, I think by the time Sean Wilson announced, uh, Jeff Landry had it locked down. And, um, you know, I understand that as Sean Wilson began calling on traditional support in the black community, they were they were already committed I mean, many of them had a, developed a relationship with him. I think Jeff Landry's been putting this together 
for the last four years as attorney general, and he just did a good job of it. There's just no getting around it. But you're right. You had an African-American candidate with a Ph.D., has run one of the largest departments in state government, no scandals attached to him, and he he couldn't get it going. Well, uh, uh, you're, you're right, and uh, uh, when you look at, at at the breakdown, you see just not much interest within Democrats, particularly the African American community. They just didn't seem to pay much attention. You've got to find ways to energize various interest groups out there. Then Landry, you know, probably next to the governor, the largest patronage reservoir is Attorney General. The attorney general puts out uh, uh, contracts for legal services to literally uh, maybe a hundred different law firms, and so uh, they are obviously indebted to him and feel like if he's governor, maybe the gravy train will continue to run. <laughs> so they're there receiving a lot of legal help, uh, rather legal business that makes them money uh, for Landry. Number one, number two, he's very high profile. Because of all the social issues, uh, the aftermath of Donald Trump, the attorney general was in the news a good bit, always filing lawsuits, challenging the incumbent governor, John Bell Edwards, uh, disagreeing with him often in very high-profile press conferences. So next to the uh, governor, uh, I would say the attorney general was by far the highest-profile elected official. So you had high-profile good name recognition, and a base of lots of people he'd give business to that in return uh, gave dollars back to him in terms of campaign contributions. I want to say anything's wrong. That's how the system works. For the good or the bad, that's how the system works. Same thing you're saying about the patronage. I mean, we've always had that system, and I'm sure attorney generals have always used that system of patronage to hand out large cases that are very financially rewarding he just did it in a very effective political way and obviously extracted some support in the process because, again, you had just significant African-Americans, who attorneys, who um, had handled cases with him, had a relationship with him, and either supported him or did not oppose him. I mean, just sitting the race out— uh, and not doing the usual get-out-the-vote efforts was a win for him, if that's all they did. And again, I'm not saying he did anything wrong either, but I do think his strategy worked. Well, uh, is the Democratic Party dead in Louisiana? <laughs> uh, you have in, I mentioned Kentucky, and in Mississippi, our adjoining state, you've got both states that have very competitive races for governor. You have an incumbent uh, governor in Kentucky. It's a heavy Republican state. I think Donald Trump carried that state by 19 percentage points. Or more, 20-something, I think, right. And you have Mississippi, the uh, uh, big Republican state. Trump carried heavily. And yet they've got a a governor, a relation relation to Elvis Presley, cousin of Elvis Presley, who is right there in the mix that some predict is going to win that election. So— uh, here in Louisiana, that's supposed to be a little bit more cosmopolitan because of cities like New Orleans. Uh, uh, yet, uh, uh, we don't seem to be doing very well in Louisiana as far as the Democrats are concerned. The Democratic Party has basically been shut down. It has been shut down. And, um, you know, I think that was a long time coming, and I don't think any one thing led to the death of it. I uh, thought we had— some ineffective 
leadership in the past, long before Donald Trump was a factor, in picking and choosing the candidates that would get the endorsement and um, just, you know, turning a lot of people off. So I think the death toll has been a long time coming. I also think the pendulum swings. I always say that, you know, you go as far down as you can go. I think that's where we are now. And then something will happen and the pendulum will swing back the other way. Well, if it, if Donald Trump is president, you think the pendulum is going to swing back the other way? Right now, he, in six of the swing states, he's leading over Biden. If he gets elected, doesn't that kind of lock up states like Louisiana and the Trump corner that is uh, that will uh, uh, stay Republican? Um and I'll give you this perspective, Rana. Having been an elected official, you know, I was a statewide elected official for 28 years. Uh, and I would tell you this, the party makes a difference in recruiting candidates and supporting candidates. Uh, you had, uh, for example, Congressman Buddy Leach. He was a congressman, very wealthy guy in the Lake Charles area. He put a lot of money into the Democratic Party, he headed up the Democratic Party. You had Jim Bernhardt, uh, the large industrialist in, in Louisiana, happens to live in Baton Rouge. Jim Bernhardt was chairman of the party, put a lot of money in the Democratic Party. Uh, the last, uh, before the present uh, chairman, you had a lady that ended up going to jail for taking the money and going to the casino with it. So in, in Karen Peterson, and then you had another Bernhardt, not related to Jim Bernhardt, young lady uh, who's there now, who's been very controversial, thought about running for governor herself. Uh, so as a consequence, the party has not been there to fill these positions. And then they even go further. They've got a, a state representative happen to know down in New Orleans named Manny Landry. She's a very progressive, uh, tough Democrat. Uh, Democratic Party opposes her, <laughs> and she beats the living heck out of the, the, the candidate they put up. And so uh, they're eating their own right. while not refreshing and putting up new candidates. So the party has been very inept in Louisiana is the point I'm making. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, first of all, I'm going to go back to I don't think Donald Trump will be president again, uh, but it's certainly he's riding high now. And why? Because he's found a way to go play to his audience's through these court proceedings and all, and have a, a big day. But um, we're a long way away, and I don't I don't think he'll be elected. Uh, and I, I, maybe Biden's not the candidate even. I mean, we don't know what will happen next year. It'll be interesting to watch. But I think always the pendulum swings. I've just never seen it not. And you go down pretty far. You start finding a way to dig your way out. And I think somebody will come along and understand that you've got a—the Democratic Party's the party of the big tent. It's not easy. It's like herding cats to bring them together. But somebody will take it on, somebody younger and more energetic. One of these, like you said, that that the party opposed its own will step forward and, and lead. And then the Republican Party's going through changes, too. You know, but the divide between the traditional—in Louisiana, you'd say Dave Treen Republicans and— Washington national politics you might say Ronald Reagan Republicans or Mitt Romney Republicans versus the Trump MAGA Republicans. Everybody's kind of going through change now, so it'll be interesting to see where it shakes out. Well, well, it, and it it certainly affects national elections. We've have now you know you you talk about presidential elections. We're less than a year away. Last week was what the one year demarcation line. 
And uh, we're less than a year away. We've got the convention for the Democrats in Chicago. I'm not sure where the Republicans, have they picked their location yet for where they're going to hold their national convention? I haven't heard. Uh, and so, uh, uh, and, and uh, you're right about uh, being uncertain. With all this going on worldwide, you know, Chicago was the location of, of one of the biggest riot conventions we ever had back in 1978, I, rather 80, 68, 68. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I happened to be there. I was right on the main drag when the tear gas was flowing. And uh, uh, in fact, I was to tell you a quick little story if I can, Rana. I'm downstairs right next to the uh, big Sheridan Hotel that was the central point. That's where the convention center was for the Democrats. Right next door was Little Boutique Hotel, had a wonderful little restaurant down the stairs in the basement. Well, I was there with uh, uh, a young friend of mine that I knew, uh, and uh, we were having dinner down there before we kind of went up to see the various activities. And uh, there were rioters over in the square across the street over by Lake Michigan, and uh, uh, they were rioting and protesting. Well, I was sitting there at dinner, and I looked at the stairway coming down the stairs, and I saw this big flood of smoke coming down the stairs. Uh, having been in the military and had having experienced tear gas, I knew it was tear gas. Oh, wow. So uh, I had a fillet down there. I grabbed that fillet and put it <laughs> over my nose and my mouth and uh, uh, took my compadre and ran up the stairs to get out of the tear gas. So we did, and uh, ran away from it all. And I'm bringing around to you about how Louisiana's role played. So uh, I went back over to the hotel, and I wanted to see all this writing. So I thought, let me get on the elevator and go up to the top, and maybe I can find a little place by the bar to look out over the window and see all these rioters down there. Well, the door opened, and there was Governor John McKithen from Louisiana, uh, Senator Russell Long, and Senator Mike O'Keefe on the elevator. I got on and I said, Governor, I'm, I'm Jim Brown from Faraday. And he lived in Columbia, not too far. He said, Jim, what are you doing up here? Well, the rumor was going around that he was in serious contention to be vice president on the ticket of Hubert Humphrey. I said, Governor, I came up here to support you for vice president. Well, he loved that. He slapped me in the back. Never forgot it. Told that story 25 <laughs> times after that. But any of those riders took place. McKithen, a Democrat, uh, the leading factor, came back home in a huff when he didn't get the vice presidential nomination. But he, he never considered not being a Democrat. Maybe Hubert Humphrey thought two LSU graduates was just too much because, you know, Hubert Humphrey went to LSU. He did, and, and so did McKithen. Well, <laughs> right. we'll, uh, we'll talk. Maybe that was just too much. No, no doubt. No doubt. So any event, we're going through it. And you're right. The, the pendulum may come back. But uh, there has to be better organization of the Democratic Party. As I say, you've got Shreveport, that whether uh, New Orleans is about 60 percent African-American. You've got strong Democratic base in uh, Shreveport, Monroe. I mentioned Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge is probably 55 percent uh, Democratic. And so there's a base to build on if you can energize those voters and make it relevant to their lives. Now, you know, issues like crime are going to come up. How is uh, a Governor Landry going to over, over swing 
in ter- terms of uh, putting down uh, new laws to get the criminals off the street without infringing on the individual rights of a lot of individuals. That's that's a tough balance, and I understand that. Well, he announced this week that he's he wants New Orleans to be like Charleston. So I thought that would be interesting well, to see. Well, what what does Charleston have that New Orleans doesn't have, I wonder? Well, I guess they think it's safer. Uh, um I think we ought to have a curfew. I think I think Baton Rouge, Shreveport, all these cities ought to have a curfew. Fourteen-year-old kids have no business out on the street at two o'clock in the morning. Period. I don't care what your rights are. You got no business. You're not a, uh, a majority. You're still just a kid. You ought to be home off the streets. So I hope Landry pushes that, and I'm very much for him. And then you know you can. Well, pro- you first have to have the police officers to enforce it. Well, I hope he uh, he's, <laughs> he likes he got, to send the state police in. Uh, he's got a six hundred and fifty million dollar surplus right now that Governor Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards left him, so he's got some dollars to deal with some stuff like that, and um, uh, so it's just a question of setting priorities. Yeah, now, I don't think you just give it out. I think you say, "Give us your plan, Baton Rouge. Give us your plan, New Orleans." And uh, what kind of zones are you going to have? You know, I like the idea you got some cities that will give you a grant for a camera on your front porch if you let if you it swing in. back and forth on oh, the block yeah. so that, you know, so that uh, it can be monitored on the block. So if something happens, then there is a record uh, of the camera right sure. there. And I think that's a great idea. Great idea. There's just so many creative things we can do with drones. And, and look, I, nobody's uh, written more about individual rights and government invasion than I have. But when you're coming to the safety of our families, we've just got to do so much more than we're doing now. And I hope uh, I don't consider that a conservative or a liberal issue. I consider that a safety issue. Well, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes because he's setting up these transition teams. He doesn't really have a very long transition period. It'll be over with by the time he gets his committees uh, up and running. Uh, but they're they're moving quickly. They've not involved any of the New Orleans administration. I mean, they're going totally different route. I think um, I've talked to some people in New Orleans. They're very nervous about what's going on. They're mostly afraid, I think, that they um, take money from the state, you know, from the city, that state funding that's been coming doesn't come there. But I don't think that's the approach. I think they're going to maybe go the route you're saying and go in with some state police and others and try to you know, have a heavier influence. I think that'll be welcomed by a lot of people. You know, Ron, I did a national radio show out of New Orleans after uh, Hurricane Katrina. And, uh, of course, the city had been devastated down there and, and law and order was just out of control. And so the governor put in National Guard troops down there in the French Quarter mm-hmm. while that surrounding area. I liked it. I'd go out after I do my radio show at early evening and jog along the levee, have dinner down the quarter. There'd be a couple of guardsmen right there as I walked in the door. I'd give them the high five. I felt all the safer because of that. I didn't feel like it was military uh, infusion into my life. And so there are just some things we need to do to kind of shape this city up and, and calm things down and uh, uh, give people a, a much greater uh, sense of, of security and safety. Have uh, you been in the French Quarter lately? No, I don't want to go near it. I, I will say it's as bad as I've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about make New Orleans Charleston, I think 
uh, we got a long way to go, but the it's filthy. There's litter everywhere. There's garbage. There's more homeless people in every nook and cranny that you know are panhandling, and it's just it's not an attractive tourist. And that's a city that's entirely run on tourism. And Rhonda, every uh, I had rest. I had a dinner down there th- uh, Tuesday evening. Uh, last let's see, yes, a week ago, last Tuesday. My wife and I were down there. My son had my grandsons. We had dinner down there. Every pl- we looked at several restaurants, and every place like that we passed, there was a security guard there. Mm-hmm. There was a pl- re- police officer off duty standing there protecting you, so you felt safe because of the fact that nobody does feel safe. And friends of mine, I've got any number of friends, including myself. I had a, a place in the French Quarter off and on for 60 years. And uh, like so many of my friends, I don't want to go near the French Quarter anymore. I don't want, don't trust taking my car down there and walking a block to an apartment. Uh, I just don't trust it. And my friends don't trust it and they're bailing out. And so it's just a, a real tragedy that one of the finest cities in the world were, you know, I used to go down there, Rana, after I did my show, uh, and uh, uh, or when I had the place on the weekends, and I'd walk to music venues, you know, a couple of blocks here, a block here, a block there, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, uh, where you'd see uh, some j- good jazz in town, some not major acts, but smaller acts, I wouldn't consider that in this day and age. I wouldn't go near that place in this day and age. Am I crazy? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's, and, it's, and it's sad. Hey, I don't want to laugh because it's sad. It's sad. No, it's very bad, and it's a city that's economy depends on tourism. Well, much of Louisiana's economy depends on tourism, and of course, the cities are not just going to go visit the rural areas. The cities have to get a grip on it. We've had, in my opinion, an, an ineffective police chief and police department in uh, Baton Rouge the last few years. We're in transition there. I believe this week is our, is our police chief's last day, and uh, the mayor will be appointing a new person to take over. Mayor of New Orleans just appointed a new person to take over. So there's a lot of transition now. We've got a new governor, new police chiefs in two of the largest cities, Uh I'm going to say what John Bell Edwards said. I'm going to attribute it to him. If the new governor serves like what he campaigned on, we'll we'll all be okay because he said some pretty good things in his campaign. So it's just a matter of now of how he implements them. Well, we'll sure keep our fingers crossed. We've gotten diverted from the election cycle, but elections have consequences, and only by electing viable uh, elected officials that want to roll up their sleeves and do this work are you going to make a difference. So I hope— And to uh, your point, Jim, about the two-party system, even the newspaper editorialized after the election that the Democratic Party's dead, has ineffective leadership, they all need to be kicked out— and it's better for the state to have a two-party system. It's better for the state to have that debate and different opinions and all. So it's 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 not a good thing that the one party has died out. Just like nationally, it's not a good thing that one party's kind of gone off the rails right now. Uh, it need, we need two healthy parties that you know fight each other. Checks and balances, keeping an eye on each other. Ronna, you're right on. 
Well, folks, we're going to shut it down here right now, but we talk a lot about these issues. Uh, uh, we're a Louisiana-based show, although we bring in other national issues. You can see all of our podcasts at DatelineLouisiana.com. That's www.DatelineLouisiana.com. If you've got a comment on our show here, you can email us at uh, Huey at DatelineLouisiana.com. That's Huey at DatelineLouisiana.com. So stay in touch with us. We're glad you're listening. Ronna, you have a good week. We'll be back next week with another lively program. Can't wait. Until we do, hey, uh, taking, take care, everybody. Jim Brown here signing off. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Dateline Louisiana with Jim Brown and Ronna Gray. To subscribe to this podcast or contact Jim or Ronna, visit DatelineLouisiana.com. We hope you'll join us again next week for more news and reflections from the Bayou State.